podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Are you looking for the perfect way to take your brand to the next level? Want to reach a dedicated, engaged audience that's all ears? With Audiohook.com, you can do just that. Audiohook is the premier podcast advertising platform, connecting advertisers with some of the best podcasts in the world. Audiohook uses advanced targeting techniques to ensure your message reaches the right ears at the right time. With detailed analytics, you'll be able to track your campaign's performance and optimize your strategy for maximum impact. Plus, their team of experts are there every step of the way, providing guidance and support to make your campaign a success. So, whether you're a startup, a small business owner, or a marketing pro, Audiohook is your one-stop shop for podcast advertising success. Head over to audiohook.com to start your journey today. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. Hey there, folks. This is Justin Hiles of the Viva La Cats podcast, which is now proudly presented by the Big 12's premier podcasting group, the 1012 Network. My co-host Steve and I cover all the ins and outs of Cincinnati football and basketball, for better or for worse. We release a new episode every single week, sometimes with guests, sometimes it's just the two of us kicking back talking Bearcats. So, if you like raw emotion and heavy recency bias, we are definitely victims of that. It clouds our conscious, and it should cloud yours too. We also have an every once in a while Twitter Spaces post-game review on our page at Pod on Twitter, where we invite all of our friends and enemies to discuss everything that we just witnessed minutes prior. If you like your podcast with a laid-back environment, way too serious about stupid ideas, the deepest of stat pools, or just straight-up white noise, then you've come to your one-stop shop for everything Bearcats. Viva the Cats. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are not recapping the weekend. Uh, look, it was, a great, it was a great weekend for the Kansas Jayhawks, but... We have some really important games coming up this week for the Jayhawks. Uh, two senior night games on the one on the men's side, one on the women's side, and we're going to talk about both of them. We have a couple guests coming in to talk about both of those games. Up first, we will be talking with uh, Jeremy Gillen of the Tortillas and Takes podcast, and I'm sure I butchered his last name, but we will find out here in just a second. And then in the second segment, we will have Jamie Steyer Johnson coming back to the podcast to talk some Iowa State women's basketball. But Jeremy. How did I do? I'm sure I butchered it, didn't I? Do you have that written down somewhere? That was perfect. It, what, wait, what? Like, I literally yeah, just winged stupid. it. <laughs> that's awesome. Man. you That's what you came up with, winging it? Yeah. You are in the infinitesimal percentage of a .01% of mankind that would ever look at my name and say, you know what? I'm not going to pronounce that last L. I'm just going to go for it. The I-L, it's, it's bogus. Gillen. That was good, man. Yeah, I, I started to stumble on it. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be able to say it without like stuttering it like four times. So I'm just going to skip it and hope that it works. So, man, talk about failing up. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So Texas Tech is a team, obviously, that has struggled early in the season, um, but has really turned it around, right? They've won six of their last nine games, um, has some huge wins at home. Um, unfortunately for them, obviously this game against the Jayhawks is not a home game, meaning that they, you know, trying to get to the NCAA tournament are looking for one, at least one more big win, big resume building win and beating the Jayhawks at home, or I'm sorry, for you guys on the road on senior night would be a huge deal. But looking at the season, looking at how Texas Tech has gotten to this point, like what has been the big difference this year, you know, it's, it's, it's year two under Mark Adams. Um, you know, obviously the big 12 is just an absolute beast, but it's not like it was a cakewalk last year. Um, what has really been different for this team that, that has caused them to struggle in the middle of the, of the conference season? I'm really glad you asked Andy, you know, Albert and I over on Portillas and takes, who kind of banged our head against the wall when it comes to this season, right? Because you have for Texas tech, it's a really fascinating story of, you know, you were 
one or two good plays away from a national championship a couple of years ago. Your head coach then goes to your in-state rival, in-conference rival, uh, but then you have the next guy kind of step up, this next guy mentality. And that next guy for us was Mark Adams, who we understood as the architect of kind of the no-middle defense, which has become very standardized across uh, Division One basketball and has been successful for a lot of schools. And I think that we had an uncharacteristically good year in the wake of losing a head coach. Not a lot of teams lose their head coach, and then the next year they're in the Elite Eight or then the Sweet 16. You know, I think that that set up a lot of kind of false expectations for Texas Tech fans. This year, after the departure, uh, after the like, uh, we're going to fight the narrative that we're garbage after losing our head coach and we're going to go after that all kind of settled down and it was like okay well what are we going to be going forward you know we had some transfers leave we had some important keys leave important keys graduate um we brought some people in but as i will be first to tell you playing the transfer market is always a gamble texas tech has gotten supremely lucky with chemistry as it comes to like pulling people from because you're just like hodgepodging it like you got people who have been playing three years over here four four years over here COVID year you know somebody who was raised under this pedagogy and this pedagogy and now you bring them all together like hey we're going to do it differently uh that's really hard to corral a lot of talent from that so this year I mean we we open up with a cupcake of a non-conference we really don't have any any real competition until the Maui Invitational that's where you see your first loss and the first losses for Texas Tech should be the most uh, like the most key for people when I think about this season, you lose to number 10 Creighton, 76, 65. Creighton's kind of had a weird season since then. Uh, but then you lose to Ohio State. And Ohio, Ohio State has really kind of, they've been a terrible team uh, down the stretch as well. Um, but then you get back on the track where you think you're back on track. You're beating teams like Georgetown, Eastern Washington, Houston Christian, South Carolina State. Um but you're not really doing anything. I mean, you can you could beat these middle schoolers no problem. Like you you got enough talent around there. Nobody has to play real basketball. You just jade up and have a good time. We're I mean the first I mean the last three games before conference open up we're scoring over 100 points. That's unheard of. Uh, uh, it's unheard of. But then we get in the conference right, and Big 12 is the gauntlet of a conference. Um, it is the premier conference. This is probably the strongest the Big 12 has been top to bottom uh, in some time. Not, and, not probably. Like it definitely is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just not the analytics guy, so I always have to say probably. But I mean, it definitely got Andy here. It definitely <laughs> is the strongest uh, Big Twelve conference uh, of our lifetime, forever. Um, and it certainly felt like that for Texas Tech <laughs> for the first how many games? Six, yeah, nine. Like I mean, you you double digits. You're you cannot buy a conference win. You lose to TCU, you lose to Kansas, you lose to Oklahoma, you lose to Iowa State, you lose to Texas, you lose to Baylor, you lose Kansas State again, you lose to West Virginia, or you lose Kansas State and you lose West Virginia again. But here's the thing, they were really close, right? Most of these are close games. You lose to TCU 67-61, you lose to Kansas 75-72, you lose to Oklahoma 68-63. Iowa State was weird because you lost 84-50. I mean, you know, we just, nobody likes to play in Ames. Um, you lose to Texas 72-70. Uh, Baylor was kind of a tough one. Kansas was a 10-pointer, and then West Virginia kind of got rough. And then so you get to this end of this beginning of the non-conference before that Big 12 SEC matchup, and Texas Tech fans are just beat down, man. It's like, oh, my God, we we just can't make it happen. Like, it's not going to happen this year. You start having people calling for Coach Adams' job, you know, all these different things, all these different drama points. Uh, But Albert and I said, you have this Big 12 SEC matchup against LSU, and LSU is a very bad SEC team. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you can't find a way to win, you're not going to find a way to win the rest of the season. And sure enough, it was an ugly game. But in the last few minutes of it, Davion Harmon decided to take over. Somebody stood, it's like, you know what? I'm so done with this. I'm going to ball out, and we're going we're gonna to figure out what that means. And sure enough, Texas Tech wins at 76-68. Not not a big flashy win. Not a win anybody really cared about. Uh, I don't think Tech fans really cared about it, you know, because uh, what did it mean when we had to turn around and play Iowa State, you know, not a couple days later. Uh, but they go out and they win against a team that smacked you down by double digits twice over. You go, you take them at home, on 13th rank, and you beat them 80-77. And that kind of kicked off this new identity for Texas Tech 
Um, not to mention, Texas Tech has been plagued with injuries. You have one of the biggest transfers for Texas Tech this year, Spardaz Amac, um, are big, and he couldn't play for the first half of the season because he had like a broken foot, right? And that's pretty tough. Uh, you have Pop Isaacs, who was kind of a rising star uh, in the crappy conference play, and even recently, um, you know, this freshman extraordinaire, but he goes down with an ankle injury. And, you know, Damian Harmon's not feeling too good. You got Daniel Bacho, our other big, who's been battling injury all season. But then all of these things start to kind of come to the head of the right moment. Like, everybody's starting to get healthy. Um, the team is finding an identity of, like, okay, you don't have to play that like that. I'm going to play it like that. You get to play like this. You know, everybody's figuring out where they fit best in this team dynamic, which has been the struggle of this team all season until that LSU game. Um, you still get two losses against Baylor and Oklahoma there at the beginning of the stretch, but then you go back to back to back to back. Uh, the back to back Kansas state and Texas wins are two top 25 wins. Like um, fantastic. Great. But I don't want anybody to minimize the fact that Texas Tech went on the road back-to-back weeks uh, to West Virginia and then to uh, Norman and Oklahoma. Both wins. Texas Tech is not one. Texas Tech does not win uh, in Norman and does not win in uh, Morgantown. It's It takes a lot to get there. So that was clear signs of improvement and on back-to-back weeks. So now you've got a team uh, full steam ahead. Like You have a team that we feel like we are in a good offensive identity. But – as a TCU game kind of illustrated, there's still some defensive things to take care of, and that's something that Coach Adams addressed in the presser. Sorry for that. No, 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 no. Spiel there. No, it's fine because <laughs> it gave me plenty of time to take a look at. You know, we were talking about the Big Twelve being as tough as it's ever been. Um, last year, right, it was easily the toughest it's ever been because everybody was 66th or higher in Ken Palm. Okay, first time that's ever happened for a conference that has at least 10 members in the in the Ken Palm era. Okay, finishing this year. Everybody is 52 or higher. Number 52 is Oklahoma. Texas Tech is 51. Like, it is just unbelievably ridiculous how difficult this conference is. West Virginia, at 5 and 11, is number 20 in Kempom. Like, (laughs) I mean, that's really all you need to look at, right? It's like your 8th place team, or, you know, tied for 8th place team, is 20th in the nation, according to Ken Palm efficiency. Like it is just, it is ridiculous how hard this is. And so, you know, I think Texas tech um, had a couple of different things go against them. One, we're also seeing it with TJ Otzelberger, right. And that um, coming a little bit back to the pack, people are now know what to expect with you being the guy that's kind of running, running it. I also think Texas tech, unfortunately, because there's not a gigantic difference from what beard was running there because, you know, Adams was, had such a huge part in putting that system together. It's not as much of a shock, as much of a difference, right? Um, And then, of course, we're also seeing just the transfer portal and the way that the transfer portal is adjusting things. You know, you look at teams that the best teams in the nation, and a lot of them here in the Big 12, have been able to go and find the pieces that they need in the transfer portal. Um, You know, I mean, we've had, you know, Kansas State completely revamped everything because you had a brand new coach. Like, that. that's pretty normal. Iowa State was able to go find some pieces in the transfer portal that they needed to really help them out. I think Texas Tech has done a similar sort of thing. But what I think we've found and what is completely foreign but seems to be working for a lot of really good teams is that a lot of them are getting transfers from other places in the conference. So you get people that are used to Big 12 play. You get people that are used to seeing these teams week in and week out. There's not that learning curve of coming from like the Big East and trying to figure out how to play Big 12 basketball because you've been playing Big 12 basketball for the last two years. You know, you get a guy like, and, and I'm sorry I have to do this to you, but a guy like Kevin McCuller who comes in and does exactly what it is that, you know, Kansas needed. And, and Bill Self has talked about how when, you know, he became available on the transfer market, he was the number one guy because he was exact, he filled the exact role that Kansas was looking to fill. And, and so the ability yep. to be able to do that and to be able to do that inside of conference where you don't have to get guys up to speed has made it extremely more difficult for the conference. But it's also made it a lot harder for you to go find a piece you can surprise people with. And I think that's really what Texas Tech has struggled with this year is that they haven't surprised anybody. Everybody knows what Texas Tech tries to do. You are very familiar with a lot of the talent that they have because they've either been there or they've been at another Big 12 school for a long time. Like, it is – you're not going to catch anyone off guard. And and then, if, you know, if the breaks start to go against you, unfortunately, like, someone has to have the breaks go against them in, in you know, the games. Like, not everybody can have good luck. <laughs> And, and Texas yeah. Tech has had its share of bad luck, in, in, you know, here. So 
it, it is definitely unfortunate that Texas Tech has has fallen this far, but you know the three home ranked opponent wins has been great to see. You know, I had been saying the entire time. I said it over on the Central podcast. I said it here after you know Kansas won against Texas Tech early. It's like this is a Texas Tech team. It's not a bad team. They just have been a little bit unlucky. They're playing in a beast of a conference. They're going to get it turned around. The question is when and not if. If it's going to be too late at that point for them to make the tournament. And, and I don't think it is too late. You obviously still need some big wins. Um, one of which I think is going to have to come in the Big 12 tournament. And I'm hoping it's not against the Jayhawks because, you know, I, I really want Kansas to get that overall number one seed. We'll, we'll see if it happens. But, um, you know, Texas Tech needs, I think, probably a win against Kansas here or a win against like a Kansas or a Texas in the Big 12 tournament to lock up a spot. But, but I think that they're really, really close. Um, so, so looking at this game, kind of looking at the players that have really um, been successful in this turnaround that have really helped Texas Tech come, like what have they been doing different in the last, you know, five or six games? Because like we, we talk about that TCU game, like, you know, big 12 refs, it's a meme for a reason. Um, you know, I, I definitely disagreed with the way that they got those last two free throws to, to win that game. But, you know, it's the kind of thing that's been happening across the entire conference. I, I can't I can't complain about that one without, without also acknowledging that basically every team in the Big 12 Conference has been shafted by a really bad ref call at some point this year. So, Yeah, man, that's nothing new. Uh, I can be, for me, like personally, I was watching it and I think, yeah, that's obviously a foul. But was it a a shooting foul? I don't think so. Um, that was kind of a cheap. That was kind of a cheap win for TCU, and the way that they really kind of the celebration that TCU had in light of that was so frustrating. <laughs> but, oh man, you know, let's talk about how... TCU celebrations. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it by now. You know, after Kansas yeah. won in Fort Worth last Monday, um, going and getting the ball because of what TCU did when they won in Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, TCU yeah, like, is just a terrible team. What they, a terrible they, school. they <laughs> like to uh, rub it in, and it comes back to bite them at times. So yeah, well, let's hope that swings full, but full circle. But um, yeah, man, refs, refs are tough. Refs are always going to be tough. Uh, you were talking about, you know, the thing like you got to find something to surprise in this conference, especially. You got to find that thing that surprises, or you just have to be like elite. Um, the thing that has been giving Texas Tech victories is freedom and efficiency from beyond the arc. Uh, Texas Tech this season has more more shooters than we have in the past five years collectively. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, in the past you have like one gunner and then one guy who will just surprise you. Um, this year, man, you've got, you know, Kevin O'Banner has been pretty good from three uh Kerwin Walton was the guy we recruited from UNC who was going to be the three guy he was nowhere to be seen for 75 percent of the season now though he's kind of coming back and it's like oh you can shoot the ball um that's been a great relief you know you've got Fardaz Amak who's being able to find more efficiency uh in the middle of the floor as well as um uh Davion Harmon's finding efficiency kind of everywhere he's going on the ball but Pop Isaacs that guy has insane range for three pointers. Um, but I think it's been, you know, something that they've talked about before on broadcasts is like if, when Texas tech is hot from three, um, you know, not a lot of teams are going to stop them. And that's like, it, it sucks to live and die by the three ball. But like right now where we are with what we're doing uh, with Davion Harmon kind of being our primary ball handler, that frees up a lot of guys to take those shots. Um, the issue is, you know, do we have transitional defense to get back in, um, you know, defend that, not really. <laughs> and that's come back to bite us a lot, uh, especially in the TCU game. TCU did really well at transitioning into offense. That's where a lot of TCU's points come from this year is just transition offense. And so, you know, we kind of, yeah, I want to be all mad at the last call of the game, blah, blah, blah. But I think you saw Texas Tech play its brand when TCU really lost their huge lead and then it had to come down to the, you know, so you know, if we could have played that a little bit earlier, if we could have been better in the transition, it wouldn't have been a game for TCU. It would have been more akin to like, you know, the way Kansas State struggled in Lubbock and the way that Texas struggle, struggled in Lubbock. Um, but we just didn't play that kind of brand of basketball. And again, Coach Adams brought it up. Like, we got to fall. I think his words were, we have to fall back in love with defense because that's what makes us different um, in this league. Well, I, I will say, I don't know that it makes you 
that much different in this league just because there's so many good defensive teams in the league. But it is definitely where they have to, you know, that's that's the spot where they can excel because they have elite defenders. They just have to be able to put it together. Um, offensively, I don't think there's the amount of talent offensively that some of the other teams have, in, or, yeah, some of the other teams in the league have. So, um, but, you know, looking at this team, especially in conference-only play, um, you know, the numbers don't look great, but I think a lot of that is swayed by the really early, uh, you know, um, well, really, the, the really early games where they, they had some pretty ugly losses. You know, looking at what Texas Tech does well, though, um, you know, offensively, they've been really good at, with offensive rebounds, but that's about it. Um, you know, unfortunately, like the, the two point percentage, they're making 50% of their twos, but you know, that's only good for six in the conference. They're making 31.6% of their threes, but that's only good for seventh in the conference. Like, you know, it's not great numbers, you know, so, so you do kind of have to worry about that offensive ability and, and Kansas has been able to allow teams to kind of stay in because their offense has been struggling at times, even though they have one of the better offenses in the conference. They've been able to go into lulls. Teams have really keyed in on Jalen Wilson to keep huge runs from happening, even though Kansas has had guys like Grady Dick step up or even Kevin McCuller in some games. Um, but, like, looking at this, you know, looking at the Texas Tech defense, I think the thing that I worry about the most there is that the things that Texas Tech is really good at, Kansas is pretty good at too, but it, they don't necessarily rely on it. I'm specifically looking at the two-point you know, the two-point percentage defense there, they allow opponents to make 52% of their threes in conference play. I'm sorry, of their, of their twos. Um, that's good for ninth in the conference. And, of course, Kansas is one of the best at uh, making two points in, in the in the conference. So I would definitely worry about this, like what it's going to look like inside. Kansas doesn't have your prototypical big man on the inside with K.J. Adams. Um, Bacho is, you know, a very, very large guy down on the post, um, you know, but... I would not be shocked given the fact that, you know, he is shooting 60% from three this year. Um, you know, he's going to step out and, and take and, and double his number of attempts in this game, you know, and go, you know, three of five to, to hit a whole bunch of threes in this one. But joking, just because Texas or every single team seems to come into Allen and have a guy that just randomly goes off from three. And Bacho is the guy that has the right profile for it. A guy that never shoots threes, but has an insane percentage of them. And he's just going to decide, decide to shoot, you know, like seven or eight of them. So let, let me let me calm you down. I'm not sure Bacho is going to. I know it's game. not going to be Bacho. It's going to be someone like, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, honestly, it's probably going to be more like uh, Jalen Tyson is just going to come in. He's going to hit like seven of eight or something like that. And it's going to yeah, be you got to be careful because Jalen Tyson has been kind of finding his groove. So that could be it, man. I think you're willing it to existence. Thank you for all. Uh, the well, I'm just looking at the fact, you know, he's making 42 percent. If it's really, truly, you know, Kansas. Um, like what normally happens for the Jayhawks, it's going to be someone more like, um, I don't know, like Lamar Washington that just comes and bombs like, you know, six of seven or something like that. A that's guy that, a, a guy a that's, yeah. a guy that's shooting 19% on the season from three. <laughs> like it's going to yeah. be just some random guy. Um, you know what I mean? And, and, and he's taking 26, so it's not like he never shoots it. He also probably doesn't, well, no, he, what? He play, oh, 38% of minutes, not 38 minutes a game. I was like, that seems like a lot. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we all know the way this is going to go. This something weird is going to happen in this game. We're going to look at it and be like, what the heck just happened there? Because it's, that's a way it always happens with Kansas. Um, but I, I guess I'm, what I'm interested in to finally get back to a question, I've kind of rambled a little bit here. Um, Bacho on the inside, the way that he is able to play that big, do you think that gives them an advantage or the fact that Kansas has gone up against some big guys with guys like KJ Adams, you know, and been able to be successful. Like, are, are, are you more worried about the, the possibility that Kansas is able to run around Bacho or encouraged by the fact that Bacho probably has a significant size advantage? Well, again, if we do get to see Bacho play in this, it's going to be pretty limited just because he is coming off of injury. You're going to see more of Fardaz Amak uh, because he's been the guy in the middle for us here down the stretch. You know, he's looking healthier by the moment. Um, what's interesting about, like, Amex size and um, his ability is that he's just very, he gives me a lot of kind of Tariq Owens feel without the blocking ability for Texas Tech on the championship run. Just a lot of mobility in the middle. Uh, he's become very efficient on pick and rolls and he's been incredibly, you know, he's been getting increasingly better at finding open players under the basket whenever he's making a drive. 
and he's been having some nice dump offs there. He's not perfect by any means, but he was, you know, one of the top transfers in this last uh, off season because of his ability to score points in the paint and because of his ability, um, his agility, especially in that space. So I don't know, you know, it's going to, I have no idea how Kansas is going to want to play this because for Texas tech, it's like, who are you going to go with? And I think for any team that's trying to game plan for an opponent, it's like, okay, well, who are they going to dish the ball to? Uh, Because for the past, if you look at the past three or four games, Texas tech has kind of looked at uh, somebody else to be that primary guy. Uh, safe bet is Davion Harmon to be kind of the leader offensively. Uh, but like, I mean, you kind of mentioned for a second, Jalen Tyson blew up against West Virginia. Uh, Jalen Tyson has been fitting a lot better into the scheme. Uh, Pop Isaacs is a guy who went to uh, Davion Harmon was not playing well at all. It was Pop Isaacs. It was the Pop Isaacs show. And everybody was like, dang, this might be one of like the best freshmen in the conference. Um, because that guy, Plus, I mean, that name, like, seriously, you hear the name yeah. Pop Isaacs and you're just like, I want this guy to play well, uh, <laughs> just, just not against my team, but like, you know, exactly. <laughs> you want to root for a guy with that kind of name. So, yeah. Um, so I'm interested to see, I mean, you can almost, I mean, not, I'll give you a nine out of 10, you know, Fardoz Amac is going to be the guy in the middle. I don't expect Bacho to play. I don't expect Bacho to see the rest of the season. Oh, okay. um, his injury has just been nagging and, and complicated. And, like, I'm sure he is at a point where he can play. But at this point in the season, kind of how the season's going, it might be more beneficial to just kind of sit out and heal up completely, you know. Be, and be ready for next year. Okay. No, that yeah. makes sense. I just – Bacho's the name that I remember, right, that gave Well, Kansas he was there for the last whole, year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, he, he was right. the guy. Like, this big – he's the first Texas Tech big. Like, the true big who is, like, massive dude who has both defensive and offensive ability. Um, so, I mean, he was he was awesome. But then he got hurt, right? Yeah. <laughs> As it always happens. Yeah. Speaking of things that are awesome, the most awesome thing just finished this last week was the limited release for the Kansas Jayhawks from sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel, the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, whole bunch more. Um, you know, they have over 150, I think, different schools now at this point. They have a ton. Um, and they keep adding new stuff. They keep refreshing stuff. They just added, they just had a limited release of Kansas. It was also Missouri and Colorado, an interesting combination. The way too much black and gold there. Um, thankfully, I, you know, dropped, well, not thankfully, but I dropped way too much money um, with that limited release because it was a bunch of fantastic stuff. But they have great vintage logos for all kinds of different schools, whether it's Kansas or any of the other ones that they have. You know, might I suggest the Rainbow Warriors or, you know, Zot from um, from UC Santa Barbara, I, I believe it is. Um, like, there are so many options, uh, so many great things. If you go over to homefieldapparel.com, use promo code CHOCK12. If you've not ordered from them yet, you can save 15% off of your entire first order. And all orders over $100 have free shipping. They have so much great stuff. I guarantee you you're going to get over $100. You're going to save a whole bunch of money with that code if it's your first time. Um, it is just fantastic stuff that I really, really enjoy. And I'm always wanting to add more. And my wife has told me I have to stop because I'm getting way too much home field stuff. Um, but homefieldapparel.com, promo code CHOCK12 gets 50% off your entire order. And all orders over $100 have free shipping. All right. Um, let's go ahead and finish up with this. Looking at this game... How do you think this game is going to go? Is this going to be one where Texas Tech is going to have an opportunity to win this game? Is this going to be one that we're going to be looking back on as like, a, oh my gosh, they almost had this one? Or do you think that they actually have a chance of pulling off the upset on, on a senior night with a Kansas squad that potentially could be too hyped up? You know, and I've been thinking about this one too. Um, I think a lot of Texas Tech fans are really thinking about this because in, in our mind, let's say for tor- the tortillas and take stances, like you had to go two and one at the end of the last three games here to have a chance at, for the tournament. And that's just kind of where our mind's at with everything that, you know, we've been through with kind of how everybody's looking at tech. Um, you know, you're, you're fighting for a reason to be in a tournament, whereas you're not looking for a reason not like you're not having and people aren't thinking, oh, why shouldn't be tech be in the tournament? It's like, no, you're trying to impress a lot of people right now. This Kansas game, if you win in Allen. I mean, you can't turn your head away from that. So no doubt, you know, this is senior night for Kansas and there is going to be a lot of hype there. I do expect coach self to be a little bit more tempered and to keep his squad tempered, especially because, you know, this is a Kansas squad that they don't have a lot of losses on the season. 
And that comes from a lot of good leadership and it comes from a lot of good coaching and it especially comes from a lot of good vision. Like I can tell that this Kansas squad has a goal in mind. They're going to like make sure that every step they take is measured. And that's a dangerous team. That's a dangerous Kansas squad. Um, on the other, on the other end of things, like you have a Texas tech squad that like a Texas tech team that man, they have a couple of seniors on the team. They want to send them out, right? They're like, we need to get into the tournament at the very least. We need to get into the tournament. Why don't we go do something and shock the world? And I mean, teams, I, this is the whole premise of March madness, Andy, we're right. You know, we're getting up to the cusp of it. Uh, the craziest things happen in March. The craziest things happen in the tournament. You got 16 seeds beating one, whatever. So it's not impossible for me. I don't expect it. I can say for Albie, we don't expect it. Uh, we expect Texas tech to go out, you know, to try to ball, uh, to make it a good game. But in the last three minutes, you know, Kansas just takes over and Kansas gets the win at home. It's big and emotional. Everybody has a good time, blah, blah, blah. McCuller comes up and, you know, shakes Adam's hand and they share a little moment because, you know, McCuller and Adams are actually still tight, but you don't know, man. I don't know. Like, <laughs> are, are, are you talking yourself into it now? <laughs> no, I just, you know, I don't want to ignore, I don't want to ignore that Texas Tech is the, is the, like, let me look at my freaking record right now. Texas Tech is the best 16 and 13 team in the nation, without a doubt in my mind. Um, they are the best, they are the best, the best, Mike Tyson, they are the best eighth placed conference team in the nation no other conference would want to play texas tech even though they're eighth in the big 12 I'm, let me just skip that straight i mean nobody nobody wants to play west virginia nobody wants to play oklahoma nobody wants to play texas tech nobody wants to play any team in the big 12 uh, unless they're just it's a death it's a death wish um i i, I will unfortunately kind of have to slow your roll a little bit because west virginia is also 16 and 13 and while you guys did just beat them at home um i think there would be at least some discussion about whether they're a better team overall <laughs> Um, you Fair know, enough. as we were the talking SOS, about earlier, yeah, but, yeah. Yep, but yep, no, no, I mean, I, I think, I think you have a good point there. Like this is a game where I would not, I mean, we've seen weirder stuff, you know, TCU came in and yeah. won by a bunch. Like we have definitely seen some really strange things. Um, you know, I think what helps Kansas is that they only have two seniors, right? Kevin McCuller and Jalen Wilson are the only two that are participating in senior yeah. night. And actually Jalen Wilson's a junior, but he's participating in senior night because he's been there for four years. He, he's a redshirt junior or a COVID junior, whatever, however you want to classify it. Pretty clear that he's not coming back next year. So they're going to let him go through the senior night festivities as a senior. Um, you know, so there's not a lot, right? There's not a lot. There was a one year, I think, where Kansas had like five different seniors that were going to go through senior night speeches and the entire team was all hyped up for it. You're not going to have that this year. I will say, though, if Texas Tech wants to win this game, there's one thing they absolutely have to do, and that is to stop Dewan Harris from scoring at least four points. Because this year, Kansas oh. has not lost when Dewan <laughs> Harris has scored four more points. What an excellent advanced metric. Yeah, well, it's been it's been all, <laughs> over, all over Twitter, and I did not originate that one. But they are also, I believe, 21-0 now when uh, Harris scores at least 10. So... In his entire wow. career. So, yeah, it's, um, Harris is, is so the linchpin. Right. He is the linchpin. <laughs> if he, well, and, and, and I've said this multiple times. If he's scoring, it's because other players are playing well enough that it opens things up for him that he feels he can go and score. Um, if things start to get tough, his natural inclination is to get other people going before he tries to get himself going. So if he is going, if he is scoring, that means everything's running pretty well and he, feels comfortable enough to go and get his own. So, um, you know, that really, I think, is the key, not necessarily because, you know, there's some magic of Dewan Harris scoring, but more because of what it's indicative of what's happening with the rest of the squad. So I, I agree with you. It's hard to imagine that Texas Tech pulls off the win here. But that being said, I fully expect this to be a very competitive game. I think the line right now, if you look at Ken Palm lines, uh, because that's all we get, you know, this early, um, I think usually before the day of the actual game, um, you know, Kansas is like a 10 point favorite according to the Ken Palm line. I don't think it's going to be that, that big of a margin. I mean, mm. they were a, they were a, an eight point favorite, I think, against West Virginia and only one by two at the very end. This is a Kansas team that, yes, they can completely like lay the wood on somebody and go out and win big, but they also don't necessarily always have to do that. And they're much more concerned with just making sure that they win. So I would not be shocked Maybe to see. To be. Yeah, I yeah. would not, I would not be shocked to see Texas Tech get back in this game at the end or even keep it close the entire way through. But 
you know, as long as they don't go out and lay an egg like they did against TCU, it's hard to imagine that they don't win this game. So we will see for sure after this one. I will be rooting, you know, as much as it pains uh, Philip to hear this because I, you know, he he listens to everything. I will be rooting for Texas Tech in the season finale against Oklahoma State because I want the Big Twelve to have nine teams in the in the uh, NCAA tournament because I think it would be amazing. Which means that Texas Tech is probably have to win at least one game in the Big Twelve tournament, probably two. Um, you know, kind of like you were saying, you expected them need to be two and one in the last three games. I thought they needed to be three and two in the last five, and then get at least one win in the Big Twelve tournament. That wasn't like the you know nine eight matchup or something like that. Like they they would need to get an upset in the Big Twelve tournament, I think, in in order to get there. But it's still within reach. Like this is it's going to be an absolutely crazy tournament. I am looking forward to actually being there covering it live. Um, so it's going to be uh, probably the greatest sporting event that I've been at ever live and I'm going to enjoy it so much. And I'm sure that Texas tech is going to have a huge part to play in it because when things get crazy, Texas tech is usually right smack dab in the middle of it. You're not wrong, man. Uh, I will say first and only time Texas tech has beaten uh, Kansas in Lawrence. It's 2018. And that was led by a man by the name of Keenan Evans. Um, so it's been a while and it might be another long while before it happens, but Hey, if it's crazy, you're right. Texas Tech wants to be in the middle of that. Un- unfortunately for Texas Tech, that was also the uh, first home game of the conference slate for the Jayhawks, um, meaning that they snuck up on them early. So, you know, I don't think it's going to happen here. There's a Big 12 conference title on the line here. So, um, But, no, it, 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 either way, it should be an entertaining one, I think, for those that aren't, you know, living and dying with the result of it. Um, so as long as you can detach yourself a little bit from the emotion of the result itself, I think we can all enjoy the display that we're going to see on Tuesday night uh, for this game. So, um, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me. Where can everybody find your guys' stuff online? Oh, we are the Tortillas and Takes podcast. You can follow us at Tortillas underscore RRS on Twitter. We can now officially live tweet games again because we decided to go mum on it for a bit and the team kept winning. So we just kept (laughs) going. And then TCU broke that. So now we can live tweet again. So come back. Uh, and listen to our shenanigans. Uh, we are <laughs> podcasting on all platforms. Most of our stuff comes out. Uh, people listen to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And, of course, you know, find us at the home base on the 1012 Network. Of course. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me. We will be right back after this with Jamie Steyer-Johnson of uh, the uh, Cyclone Family Podcast and, of course, the 1012 Podcast, talking a little bit of women's basketball. But I do need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Do you love the Big 12 Conference? Do you love college basketball? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do. So come on over to the Midwest Madness Podcast, powered by the 1012 Network, where I, Robbie Triano of SiriusXM, talk all things men's basketball in the Big 12 Conference. Whether it's breaking down the biggest games, interviews with some of the best people covering the league, or discussing which teams will make the big dance, make the Midwest Madness Podcast your bi-weekly listen because the best way to prepare for March Madness is to listen to the Midwest Madness. And welcome back. We are joined now by the one and only JSJ herself, Jamie Steyer Johnson, my cohort over on the 1012 podcast uh, every single Monday. Uh, well, when we don't have a, a random day off because somebody is just too tired. Uh, look, I've been there. I know Phillip's been there and I know you've been there as well, Jamie, but Jamie Steyer Johnson, voice of the Kansas, I'm sorry, why am I saying Kansas? The Iowa State Cyclones women's basketball team. Um, my dog distracted me. I'm, I'm going to blame it on him because I'm sure you could hear him in the background. So, Jamie, how are you doing today? I'm great. I went, I uh, I actually just got back not long ago from going and watching some uh, state tournament action here in Des Moines. So, trying to scout out maybe some future cyclones and certainly seeing some future other big 12 players I'm sure as well so that's always super fun but now I get to sit down and talk with you talk big 12 women's basketball my second monitor is Baylor versus Texas because it's Monday night so if you see me peeking over there that's where that's going but no it's it's good a lot of basketball and so much really good basketball yet to be played including this game that we've got coming up yeah I mean you you talk about as we are recording right now um Baylor is leading by seven in the fourth quarter so um, a little bit surprising, but I think it ties directly into, you know, the first topic, which is, you know, we thought that the Big 12 was getting 
some sort of, uh, I guess, you know, structure to it where we knew it was happening and, you know, we knew who the best teams were going to be. And then we just had, you know, I've had the last week or so where everything has flipped on its head. Kansas going on the road to Kansas State, being without Holly Kurzgator for the last two games, um, getting absolutely destroyed at Kansas State, and then turning around and, you know, handily handling Oklahoma State at home. Um, you know, it's been it's been a little weird the end of the season where injuries are obviously playing a big role, um, but then just teams are stepping up and getting the big wins that they need to get to the end of the tournament. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's so much that goes into having success over the course of the season, and um, you're you're kind of seeing that play out at, at both ends of the equation here, um, or both ends of the spectrum, both sides of the equation. But uh, certainly, been kind of a wild week for Kansas. Iowa State has had weeks like that of their own, um, but really, really impressed with the way that they turned things around after, like you said, really a struggle against K State. Which, hey, you know, guilty of that as well, right? They they certainly have things figured out at home. I mean, kind of a different team at home and on the road. We don't need to get into all of that, but pretty wild. Uh, but then to turn around and and beat Oklahoma State was huge. I mean, that's absolutely huge for, uh, you know, conference standings, conference implications at many levels. Uh, but it's also really big for the confidence of Kansas. It's really big for your postseason resume. Uh, I've, I've gone on the record many, many times that I think Oklahoma State is the most underrated team in the country. Uh, the fact that they're receiving votes in the AP poll is something, uh, but I still don't think that they're getting the recognition they deserve. They're a extremely deep team. They have a lot of players that play minutes. They really have solid options at every position on the court. Uh, so to go out there and beat a team like that, especially they have so much to play for, you know, that was a situation where they had solidified themselves into third in the conference. They technically weren't out of the first place race, not likely, but that took them out of it. And so uh, really, really impressed with the way Kansas played. And, you know, not to even mention the fact that that was without Holly Kurzgeter, who is so crucial to their offense, to the way that they play. I mean, obviously their defense as well, but just her composure, just how well she knows the game, how well she knows their offense. She's someone who is really, really reliable for Kansas. And so to go out there and do that, uh, I think people really have to take notice of that. That That's a win that is really impactful. And it kind of changes the way that they're perceived, I think, a little bit. You know, I, it's really easy to look at them and say, well, Kansas has the pieces to be really good. And they didn't put them together in some situations this season where maybe you thought they could have. But if you put them together at the right time, finishing out the regular season, going into a conference tournament that we talked about the conference being wide open last year, this conference tournament is – Bar none, the most wide open it has ever been. And, and I don't think it's close. You've Everyone in the Big 12 has beaten up on each other. There's not a single matchup where you look at and say, what, or one team where you say, well, they're going to have an easy road through it. And I don't care what the matchups end up being. That's going to be the case. It's going to be very difficult. So to do that, to have it that wide open, and then obviously you're going into March saying, okay, well, if we can bump our seating up a little bit, that just makes it all the more exciting when we already think that maybe we're a little bit underrated. We can take advantage of being an underdog. Yeah, I, I definitely think Kansas is doing everything they possibly can to try to stay off of that 8-9 line this year. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, as Coach Brandon Schneider said in the in the post game, he's not operating under the assumption that they've already punched their ticket. Obviously, the win right. against Oklahoma State helps. Um and, you know, you talk about some of the, the big injuries that they've had, got, or players that have been missing, especially on short notice. Like, he, he mentioned the game against Kansas State, a lot of that was, you know, Holly Kersgeter didn't get ruled out until really close to game time. Um, and, you know, it's concussion-like symptoms. He, he actually said it, so I, so I, you know, like in the press conference, so I don't actually mind um, sharing that information. But, you know, that's one of those things that you don't really, like, it, it comes without warning. It clears up without warning. You don't, you can't really plan too much right. with that. And so 
Um, the fact that they could prepare for what they were going to do without her against Oklahoma State made them, I think, a little bit better better prepared, more easily able to adjust for not having her. Kansas State is one of those teams that has been able to jump up and bite people um, all year long. You know, they did it against uh, Baylor, if I remember correctly, right after Baylor beat Kansas. Like, Kansas State has done that throughout the season. They have not been consistent, but there's a lot of Big 12 teams that haven't really been that consistent because of how tough the league is. You know, you go into a Big 12 tournament, I would not be shocked. Like, it's probably the only tournament in all of women's basketball right now where you could probably go, you know, one through six, one through seven. And it's reasonable to think that any of those teams have a path to win the conference tournament this year. Just because yeah. the way things break, the way, you know, players can get hot in individual moments, every single one of those teams has a player that can take over a game. The question is, does the opponent have a player that's going to take over the game at the same time? Um, and so, you know, speaking of, of players that take over the game, um, Tiana Jackson in that game against Oklahoma State and, and kind of to a degree in pretty much every game, you know, every big game that they've played, um, has had a, a monster game. She is... She actually set uh, she she tied her career high for twenty with twenty one rebounds against Oklahoma State, which was absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know she is up to eighty two blocks, which puts her fifth on the single season record or list for Kansas for blocks in a season. Um, which she has the overall you know top one with ninety five she had last year, um, but she's only thirteen away right with at least three four more games. Like she's averaging you know three. Point, I think it's like 3.1 blocks a game. It's some ridiculous number. Um, you know, there's a shot that she could break that record that she set last year for the Jayhawks, which is a, a fantastic defensive performance. It's hard for me to look anywhere else in the Big 12 right, right now and find somebody who is clearly a better defender than Tylen Jackson has been this year. And honestly, her biggest strides this year, I think, have come on the offensive end. So um, looking at what she's done and how she you know, changes the game for Kansas. How, how do you plan for a player like that? How, how do you hope to stop or, or limit what they do? Well, you have to, you have to be smart about how much you let it impact your game planning, because once you get in right around the rim, if she is there and available to affect your shot, that's, uh, that's not great, right? You're, you're not trying to shoot into her you're generally not trying to shoot around her uh you're more trying to draw her away and so for a game plan you're looking at okay what what end are we more concerned about like what end do we think we can find some kind of advantage because for example you know when you're looking at iowa state you can say okay we have been playing Nymir Dew a lot at the five spot, and she is very much more a perimeter player than Tiana Jackson is. So if we put her out on the perimeter, we can stretch her out. We can maybe make her a little bit uncomfortable, maybe draw her out of a spot she wants to do. That's what they did the first time, and we're able to draw a couple fouls out there. So that's certainly something I would anticipate Iowa State doing there. But then on the other end, you say, okay, now we're giving up more height. Now we're giving up more strength. And so do we believe that if Nye is fronting Jackson, are our guards going to make it really difficult to enter the ball into the post? Are our guards going to make it difficult to get that lob in there? Are our guards going to be ready to come in on the weak side and contest if that lob does get over nigh? And if she's there to not give her that easy catch and shoot, which Iowa State has proven they are capable of doing, but that's a really tall task for the full course of a game. And so you have to also have other things in your back pocket. You're not go that's not going to be your game plan for the entire time. But thankfully for Iowa State, you've got Morgan Kane, who is a, a true post player, who's had the best two game stretch of her career, and it's not close. Coach Fenley made a really great point after the game against TCU where if Iowa State had ended up pulling the game out against Oklahoma State, there's a very legitimate chance she would have been Big 12 player of the week because she was shooting over 80% in both of those games. And so, you know, 16, 17 points from a player who averages half a dozen on extremely efficient shooting. So she's been really good about 
her post moves getting around players. And we've seen it a little bit. Obviously, there's no one on Oklahoma State who has the height and the length that Tiana Jackson has. And then at TCU, there's a little bit of it, but just not quite the skill. So you're not going to see it quite as much, but there's the capability to maybe throw a shot up there too. Izzy Zingaro last time got some solid minutes against Kansas and she had some success down low as well. So that's definitely a well I anticipate them going back to. And then on the other end of the floor, Morgan would still probably be fronting. Izzy can play behind, but you just want to make it difficult to even get the ball down there. It's so much on the guards, which is kind of a weird thing to realize that it's a lot more about making it difficult to even get the ball down there because of Jackson gets the ball no matter how well you defend her one-on-one or heck two-on-one there's a solid chance that she scores it's like how people have to game plan when it's Ashley Jones if Ashley Jones gets the ball on the block it really doesn't matter who's defending her because there's a really good chance that she's going one-on-one she's gonna score and so you see a lot of different ways that people try to game plan around it and ultimately you have to have multiple options and you have to be adaptable you know I just listed off three different ways that they could approach it and there's going to be something that I haven't even thought of that I didn't even discuss and that's going to be something they're going to throw out there as well but uh, you've, you've got to be really really solid on the perimeter to make it hard to be really good down low because ultimately she's not going to bring the ball up the court herself and, and get the ball to the rim. It's got to get to her. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things like you look at what happened in the last game up in, up in Ames. And it's funny because, you know, we've, we've been talking about how well they played against Jackson. And then you look at her line. She had 13 points and 15 rebounds (laughs) with five of those offensive rebounds. Like, you know, she had a very similar game uh, to what, to what uh, Ashley Jones had, except, Jones obviously took five, you know, took 11 three-pointers and and made five of them. So, like, that was the difference in terms of the amount of scoring that they had. Like, that's a, a dimension to her game that obviously, you know, um, Jackson does not have. But Jackson, with the the ability to block down low, has definitely made that kind of, um, you know, we could, we could have a debate about Big 12 Player of the Year. I don't think we need to have it at this point because this game, I think, is going to go a long way to determining who ultimately gets that because – you know, those are the are the two runaway candidates, I think, at this point, with individual performances, how they're playing. And it's weird because you have two teams that are not up at the top of the conference, but it's hard to look at, you know, what those two players have done um, so much better than some of the players that are up at the top of the conference. Um, so, like, I think this will go a long way with that particular matchup. But looking back to what Iowa State did well last time, you know, it wasn't it wasn't stopping Jackson. It was Mm-mm. keeping everybody else from getting super involved. Holly Kurzgeter only had four points. Um, you know, Chandler Prater, who has been that player that, you know, really steps up and is getting, you know, just random garbage scoring. And and I say garbage, not like as in it's like, you know, not like she, she doesn't deserve the points or anything like that, but more just the getting in there in the fray, super physical. Like you just have to like chuck it up and figure a way to she make it go in. She has to pick up the scraps, you know. Oh, yeah. She's the one who's not afraid to get in there and, and get after it and, you know, do it for herself. That's that's really what it comes down to for her. Yeah, yeah. She, she has been huge in that role. She was the leading scorer for the Jayhawks against Oklahoma State, um, which was kind of surprising, but with how well that they spread it around, it wasn't, I guess, that surprising. Um, but, you know, Kansas has four players that will consistently score in the double digits or close to the double digits without Kersgeeter. Um, I will be very interested to see how Iowa State is able to limit the rest of what they do. You talked about having to play out on the perimeter, having to kind of stop. Who, who is the player that worries you the most on the perimeter in terms of a player that's likely to just go off and cause problems all night long for Iowa State? You know, it's it's interesting because like you mentioned, you know, it's not that they stopped Tyana Jackson. It's that they limited her opportunities, you know, having her put up eight shots. That was the success there. Yeah, she made six of them. That's kind of par for the course. That's what you're expecting, but you don't want her to get up 20, right? But you're looking at the rest of them, and there just wasn't another player that was really able to get going in any meaningful fashion. You know, the best besides Tyana Jackson was Zakaya Franklin going 5 of 13 from the floor. So... It's we we talked about it last time, I believe, where playing against Iowa State is a situation where most teams are looking at either a significant mismatch like what Tiana Jackson would have and, and or 
you're looking for your second, third, fourth player on the scouting report because you've got Lexi Donarski, you've got Danae Fritz, who are going to go out there and they're going to defend really, really hard. Usually Holly Kurzgeter is the victim of that. Uh, and so, you know, she she tends to have maybe low, lower scoring games against Iowa State because you know that she has the ability to really score it, it at every level, frankly. And so that's the kind of player you want to try and pull off the board just because of, like I mentioned earlier, her consistency, her leadership, the way that she's able, you know, if she gets going, man, she really gets it going. So she really scares you. But then you look at the kind of people who have really stepped up this year. I mean, Wyvet Mayberry has taken such a huge jump. She did last year, and then she's been so, so crucial to Kansas' success. Well, against Iowa State, she was three for 17. You know, she, I think early, she really forced some shots. I love her as a player. I love her game. But it seemed like early on, maybe... The the idea of of needing to step up a little bit more, knowing usually the recipe to beating Iowa State is to have someone who isn't at the top of the score sheet really popping off. Uh, I think that that ended up hurting her a little bit long term. But again, that really doesn't have to translate necessarily to this game. I think she probably learned from that and is going to be much smarter with the way that she attacks. And I'm anticipating, I would be very surprised to not see Kurzgeter play considering she did also warm up last game um, and, and the time elapsed since the injury would have occurred. Obviously being a head injury, nothing is for certain. There's, there's very specific guidelines as to when someone can return to play, but I would anticipate seeing her. So if you're wife at Mayberry, you're saying, okay, yeah, probably they're still going to be guarding Holly really closely. So those opportunities are going to be there. And Hey, I learned from the first time I'm going to be a little bit more selective, but those opportunities are still going to be there. Uh, because I, I don't know. I think that her Chandler Prater struggled a little bit from the floor as well. Like I said, no one was really terrific, but I think that Chandler Prater is another person who's extremely difficult to guard just because of her combination of size and physicality where, you know, if Danae's guarding her, she's given up a couple inches and she's still not quite as strong. I mean, there's very few people in the league who are as strong as Chandler Prater, but when Ashley's guarding her, then you get into the position where, okay, maybe you're going to get a foul or something like that. And that's just not something you can afford on Ashley Jones. So she's definitely a difficult matchup. Uh, Zakaya Franklin's kind of a wild card. She was five of 13 last time. She can really drive the ball. She, I mean, she's got such great handles on the ball. Uh, she's shown the ability to step out to the three, but I think that her biggest threat is to attack at the rim. Um, but she, I think she's someone who is able to really step up when you get someone else going, then she's able to kind of slice in there and take advantage of, okay, they're thinking about you or you're a threat to score and you get me a pass and I've got that lane. Like her vision is very, very good, but a lot of that is predicated on someone else getting it going as well for her to be at the top of her game. So uh, I would certainly be the most interested to see how much Wyvet Mayberry adjusts, and then Chandler Prater is always someone who I look at and say, okay, you've got to keep her from getting going because she is capable of, like you said, just scoring the dirty points. And Iowa State's kind of struggled with giving up offensive rebounds, and so especially recently. So between her and Tiana Jackson, that's something that they would absolutely be looking to capitalize on if you're not boxing out, if you're not going and clearing off the board. Yeah, I mean – Looking back at that game, you know, you talked about, well, like, that was 40 days ago by the time that this game actually, you know, happens. Mm -hmm. And so a lot changes, obviously. It was it was pretty close. Well, it, I mean, it was like three weeks into the in, in the conference slate. Um, fairly early still in, in the conference slate at that point. And that was when, you know, Wyvet, Wyvet Mayberry was really kind of taking on the primary ball handling responsibilities. Sakai Franklin was super hot early in the non-conference schedule, and they tried to kind of shift some stuff back to Mayberry to allow her to be the primary ball handler because that's that's the way that they knew they were going to be best, but there was definitely some growing pains there. Um, you know, kind of to the point there that you made with Franklin, 
you know, she needs one of two things. She either needs to hit a couple threes early to really force people to come out to guard her to open up the lane herself, or other people need to be able to hit to allow her to have that that room to operate. You know, it, it's it's also been very interesting because the games where she has been the most successful are actually the games that have been the most physical, where fouls aren't being called because she is extremely good at going in and getting contact and adjusting to that contact. The problem becomes when, you know, she gets the contact and they call a foul and then everything's, you know, thrown out. Like, the momentum stops and, like, all of that. Like, she can handle a few misses and adjusting to that contact and then being able to play through it. And and you saw that a lot against Oklahoma State, the way that she was taking those drives and falling off to the side but still finishing through it. You know, no foul was called. Everybody got up and they kept running down the court and she, you know, got back on defense and, and the flow of the game kept going. So she is definitely a player that benefits from flow. You know, if you see, I think that was the quickest game, honestly, that I've ever been to in person because like we were done. So, so, so the game started at, at uh, two o'clock, right. On, on, on uh, Sunday, we were done with the press conference by four. Like that was really fast. I don't think I've ever seen a game go that quickly because they didn't call any fouls. There weren't very many stoppages at all. You know, the clock was basically running the entire time. Both teams were playing really good defense, and the ball was moving up and down. and And I think that's that's what is different about this team, right? The defense, while statistically you look at you know places like uh, CBV Analytics, and like the defense hasn't gotten much better, but the offenses have been better. Um, I don't think that they that they adjust for opponents nearly as much as some of the other things that we're used to for like Ken Palm and all of that. So um, the the raw numbers have gotten worse, but they've been playing a lot better competition. I think they put together much better defensive efforts. I am very curious to see how that's going to tie over. But honestly, I think the biggest thing is going to be how much does Kansas let themselves get amped up? Because there is a level of you know energy and a level of excitement that they handle really well that gets them focused and tuned in. But it's going to be senior night. You know, you're going to have you're going to have at least three different seniors, you know, in the starting lineup that are going to be gone after this year, most likely. Um, I think they all technically could come back if they wanted to, but they're all seniors and I'll be interested to see what their decisions are after the year. But, you know, it, it's it's one of those where you could potentially have, you know, Holly Kurzgeter, Tiana Jackson, Zakiya Franklin, all giving senior night speeches, um, you know, and then and then trying to make it a game where they just don't get too hyped up. They don't they don't try to do too much. And I think that's the thing you have to worry about. Um, you know, that's the thing that you that could potentially be a problem for this team, no matter how good they are or how you know difficult they can make it for Iowa State if they get too hyped up they're not they have not been very good at making all of the shots they need to um and you know and and actually draining stuff because they just they you know it's too strong or it's off a little bit because they they took a bad angle on it or something like they just have too much energy they've they've, they've talked about that before this was a team I think that wanted to have a bunch of energy but you can go a little bit too far if you let it affect the way that you you know, play of the game. And, and we've seen that from Kansas. It's cost them a couple games. I think it cost them against Oklahoma. You know, it's cost them against some of these things. So it, it'll be very interesting, I think, to see how they're able to handle the emotions of the night and be able to go from there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Iowa State is definitely a difficult team to play against in those situations just because, obviously, I'm, I'm a little bit biased in, in the way that I see them and the way that I cover them. But I also watch a lot of basketball, and I I think that I'm pretty unbiased in my evaluation that they're one of the most composed teams that you can find. Just they don't let big emotions really get to them. And if another team has really strong emotions, usually that'll start flowing into the game. And so maybe you get a balance of it where, okay, someone is kind of feeding off of you as an opponent. And so... It, it evens out somewhat. Maybe they get some of that nervous energy. Iowa State's not the one, you know, they're, they're really not going to do that. And so uh, I certainly think that Kansas is more than capable of it. But like you said, it's, it's a, it's an ongoing battle for them of finding the right line to walk because they need it up until the point where it hurts them. You know, it's, it's, it's almost impossible, especially, you know, you just think about, the the ages here you've got 22 23 year olds out there and this is huge you know these are really really 
big opportunities, really big moments for them. There's really big implications. And so when that's been something you've been struggling with, uh, the flip side of it is how great would it be for them to kind of get over it? Obviously, that's not what I'm hoping for. But uh, objectively, just as someone who covers the sport, that's something you look at. You're like, wow, that would be quite the narrative where it's a team that they've struggled with significantly for a while now it's a stated goal of theirs to take down Iowa State you have the opportunity on senior night and so it's it's really going to be big for them to be able to maintain that composure and really play the game that they're capable of playing because they are absolutely a team capable of beating like I said pretty much anyone in the Big 12. Yeah it's it's kind of funny because it's it's one of those things where this is a team and, and they have actually said this uh, I, don't, I forget where exactly they said it or where where I heard it but you know, Kansas feels like they have laid an egg against Iowa State three different times. That each of those three times they should have been competitive and had an opportunity to win it, and they've lost the last three times um, in fairly non-competitive games, to be honest. Um, and so, you know, they are going to be hyped up for this one. This is like the perfect thing that would um, because I think you went against Iowa State on Wednesday and you have punched your ticket at that point. Like at that point, it's like obviously yeah. you're still hungry. You want to finish with the game at, at TCU to, you know, continue to improve the seed and then go on a run in the Big 12 tournament to try to improve that seed even more. But, you know, this is the game that you need to feel confident that you're in the NCAA tournament. And then everything after that is just how well can we prepare for a grueling tournament that we've that yeah. we've seen a few times. So, um, yeah, this is going to be a big one. I won't ask you to pick it because obviously, um, you know, you, you do end up covering the team. And so even though you're not announcing this particular one, I mean, I have to wait until Kansas City – you know, for, for for us to actually get to have a little 10, 12 podcast reunion. But um, so, uh, you know, this is this is going to set us up, though, I think, for a fantastic Big 12 tournament. I am really looking forward to it. Jamie, any final thoughts before we get out here? No, I mean, I'm just so excited for this game. I'm excited for every game. I've said it uh, many, many times that uh, when when they're not playing Iowa State, man, is Kansas an easy team to cheer for. They're just a really great group of people. Obviously, I know Morgan Page on the staff, and I hear just the best things about everyone else over there. But uh, really, I mean, it, it's an honor to definitely be a part of a senior night for a group that has done incredible things for that program for sure so uh not hoping for the best for them on the, on this particular game but definitely over the course of their careers i'm hoping for them to go and you know make a run in the big 12 tournament until we might face each other and then go and make some noise in the ncaa that's always a really really easy way to root for i don't i don't know maybe big 12 succeed maybe you do want to send them out with a win on this senior night so it's actually their senior night and they don't come back next year with the with the class <laughs> that kansas is bringing in and to have every single player return except for those that end up transferring out to make enough room for scholarships like that would be that's um, the, that's that would the be very chess move. That yeah. would be very interesting, right? <laughs> you know, you 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 let them go out on the high note so that they actually go out on that high note. Um, you know, I don't know. We'll we'll see what decisions they make, but it will be very interesting, I think, to see how all of that ends up. So, all right, well, that is going to do it for us today, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining me. We will, uh, or and and thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out where, wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe to every episode as soon as it comes out. Give us a rating and a review. Five stars, nice comments. would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys. You get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 12, 1012 Podcast Network covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference. We have a ton of fantastic shows over there, and I think we are getting extremely close to having every single school covered, including all the new ones coming in. So head on over to 1012podcast.com, I'm sorry, 1012network.com to get links to all the great shows we have there. So make sure you guys visit our sponsors, Homefield Apparel, Price Picks. Uh, use promo code CHALK12 to get some great stuff. I'm, I can tell you right now I spent way too much money on that limited line of Kansas gear they just released, but they still have a ton of great stuff. So, um, But that's going to do it for us today. Jamie, once again, thank you for joining me, and thank you to Jeremy in the first segment. But uh, thank you guys for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Podcast Network.